today's our last session of Love 101. So, uh, y'all, if you have your Bibles or your smartphones or something that, with a Bible on it, you can turn with me to Ephesians, actually, first Proverbs 27, 17, and Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. I'll, I'll say those again later on, but Proverbs 27, 17, and then Ephesians 4. Um, after Carrie and I had been married for a year, almost a year to the day, we moved to Fort Worth because I felt called to the ministry, and I had to go to seminary. Talk about the ultimate bait and switch, right? Uh, you marry a guy, and then he says, hey, by the way, so we moved to Fort Worth so I could attend seminary, and our first year, as I've shared with you, our first year was kind of tough, and uh, a move like that away from parents to live in poverty for three years while I went to school, while she had to support me, sounds like a death sentence, but it actually turned out well for us. Um, one of the reasons was we were around people uh, who are our age who were good examples for us. And one, one of my examples is we had these friends named John and Meredith, and that's their real names. Uh, I, anyway, I'm going to tell a story that might be a little embarrassing to Meredith. Uh, don't, I, I hate to tell this because she's actually a very, very sweet woman, but she doesn't come off well in this story, but you'll see why. Um, one night we went with John and Meredith to the state fair in Dallas. And you know what you do when you go to the state fair, right? You eat a bunch of really bad food, and you get on rides, and that's, those two things don't combine well. And so Meredith started feeling pretty bad, and so we had to leave, and we got in the car. And you know, I don't know anybody who, when they feel sick to their stomach, they're gracious, right? And so don't judge Meredith for this, but she was, she was not very happy with the way John was driving. He wasn't driving fast enough, and then when he sped up, he wasn't driving carefully enough, and so um, she was talking to him from the back seat about, about his driving, and several times she made comments, and finally she said something, and in a very soft voice, he said, I'm trying to help you, Meredith, and that's all he said, and I remember at that very moment thinking, man, a long time ago, I would have been yelling at Carrie. I would have been, I may have even pulled the car over on I-20 and gotten out and said, you drive if you don't like it. I mean, I was very immature at that point and just, you know, very, take a stand on every little thing, every little slight. And it just amazed me that this guy who was my age could be so patient when his wife was being critical of him. And I, I remember at that time thinking, wow, I wish I was more like that. I know I need to be more like that. I guess I really need to spend more time around these two and figure out how they do it. And over those three years of seminary, we did do that. We spent time with people like that, and not, not perfect people by any means, and we saw some things not to do, but we saw plenty of things that blessed us. You know, this fall, all this fall, we've been talking about how to love the most important people in your life well. And it's not easy. I've enjoyed this time, but I can't leave without sharing the importance of having good role models, good people in your life who invest in you and you invest in them, and that blesses you. It, it grows you in your ability to love others. So let's start with that scripture, Proverbs 27, 17. You're going to recognize this one when you turn to it. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We've heard that scripture before, but think about what it means. 
I, I, whenever I read this, I think about my grandpa's pocket knife. I've talked to you before about my grandfather on my mom's side. I think about him a lot at Christmas time, too, because we would always spend Christmas Eves with my, my parents or my mom's parents. Um, and grandpa, when we we'd do the gift exchange, grandpa would always whip out his pocket knife and he would open his presents with his knife. He would just slice through that paper and tear it off. And my brother and I would always look at each other and kind of smile because Grandpa's pocket knife was a source of awe to us. He kept that thing so razor sharp. He sharpened it, and he had it for years. He sharpened it so often, it was a tiny little blade. It, it was very, very thin because he had, you know, ground it off, or he'd grind it off so much of the metal, um, but it was razor sharp. Grandpa was a cattleman, so uh, there were a lot of bulls, young bull calves, who had their lives permanently changed by that pocket knife. And I witnessed it. I held their legs together sometimes and thought, uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm a human individual. So uh, that blade didn't get sharp by itself. In fact, if Grandpa would have left it alone, it would have gotten dull and duller and duller and duller. It had to come in contact with another piece of metal. That's the point that, the, that uh, Solomon is making. You know, Solomon probably didn't write all the Proverbs, but he collected the Proverbs. And whether he came up with this idea or he heard it from someone else, the idea is that through relationship with someone else, you become a sharper individual. You become a better person. You need friends around you who make you better. And that's another thing to ask. Sometimes we accumulate friends based on shared interests, and that's fine. Sometimes we accumulate friends based on well, we, we work in the same place, or we just, we're kind of thrown together. Our kids hang out together, so we might as well hang out together. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we should have friends to whom we're ministering. We should have friends who aren't believers so we can share the gospel with them. But you've got to have some friends in your life who make you better. If you don't have that, you need to seek that. You need to pray for it. Friends who bring out the best in you. Friends who are strong in areas where you are weak. Friends who challenge you in some way. Now, there are two things about that image of iron sharpening iron that bother us, two things that, uh, that are reasons why we don't often seek out those kinds of relationships, effort and change. You know, you have to, Grandpa had to take the time to sharpen his knife, right? Or else it would get dull. I've got all kinds of knives in my kitchen, I, I like to cook, that are dull as can be because I just don't sharpen them. And it's funny, I'll, I'll open the drawer and I'll be like, oh, dang it, my one sharp knife is dirty, you know? I should take the time to sharpen those knives. Just the same, we should take the time. We should make the effort to develop relationships that improve us. The other aspect of that image is change. Think again about that image of the knife, of my grandpa's knife. When he bought it, I'm sure, or when someone gave it to him, whenever that was, I'm sure it was a nice, beautiful, silvery blade, and now it was this thin little thing. It had been whittled down to a, a, a almost a, a spear-looking instrument. It was... It was there, the sharpening process takes away rough edges. It takes away a part of you, and that's hard. We don't want to change. We like who we are, or we, we just find it offensive that someone would want to change us. And yet, through those relationships, we grow. We alter ourselves. We become better people. So that's, that's the first scripture that talks about this. Now let's look at Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. Ephesians 4, 14 15. Uh, Ephesians is, out of all Paul's letters, it's probably the one that's most focused on the church and what the church should be. Um, we think of church as a place you go, right? I, 
go to a gym to get in shape. I go to a restaurant to eat. I go to a spa to get, well, I don't, but my wife goes to a spa to get her nails done. Um, I go to church to get spiritually blessed. Well, no, the church is the people of God. And every local church, every local body of believers is what Ephesians is about and what that's supposed to be. So here's what he says in Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So the idea behind this, first of all, Paul's writing in the context of the local church. The purpose of the church is that as we function as part of the body of Christ, we're supposed to be growing. But notice he starts and says, we will no longer be infants. Now, I hate to say this, but that's where we start. If you haven't grown as a Christian, you're still an infant in Christ. That's kind of a humbling thing to realize, but it's better than the Old Testament that calls us sheep, right? So at least we're humans. Um, but we start as infants, and infants have no defense, right? We, we're helpless when we're infants. But as we grow, we become able to stand up against the waves of life. We become able to, to hear the, the voices of our world and discern what's true and what's not. And we begin to grow into the head, which is Jesus Christ. How? Through speaking the truth in love. Now, let's talk for just a minute about the fact that this is in the context of the local church. I know you're here on a Sunday morning and you don't have to be, so you may think I don't need to say this, but I'm still going to say it. A lot of Christians think, and this is more and more common in your generation, you know, what do I need the church for? I got saved. I got baptized. My kids are now baptized. Why do I need the church? It's just me and the Lord, right? That's all I need. And yet nowhere in Scripture is that the indication. The indication instead is we need each other. We need those relationships. And some of you have experienced times where, you know, maybe the church burned you in some way. Maybe you just got too busy and you just, for a while, you weren't a part of a local body of believers. And you dwindled spiritually. You need that. Now, churches need to do a better job of mentoring and reaching you and meeting your needs, but you need to commit to a local body of believers. I personally hope it's this one, but you need that. And notice what he says, speaking the truth in love. How does it happen? What, it's not just us being in a room together that causes us to grow. It's as we speak into each other's lives. Now, what I do up here or what I do from the pulpit or what your life group does on Sunday morning, what life group leader does on Sunday mornings when they teach the word is important, but that's not what Paul's talking about here when he says speaking the truth in love. I think he's talking about our individual relationships. He's talking about somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, you've been out a couple of weeks. How have you been? Is everything okay? Or, you know, I've noticed you're becoming less and less patient with your kids. Now, am I going to take that well? I better, because that's a brother speaking the truth to me in love. And some people aren't good at that. Some people aren't good at it because they love others, but they just don't like speaking the truth because it hurts people's feelings, because it makes people mad, and I don't want people mad at them. I fall into that category. I can be real bold behind a pulpit, but when I have to confront you individually, I tend to kind of shrink. 
Other people have the opposite problem. They're good at speaking the truth. They just don't do it in love. And if you're one of those people, you know who you are, right? Let me tell you something. Don't be so proud of that. Some people are just proud. Boy, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to tell them the truth. Well, you need to throw that love bit in there too, or else you're no better than I am, who's afraid to speak the truth. We need the truth with love. And when you've got someone in your life who can speak the truth in love to you, then that's a, that's a precious thing. That is a, that is a great treasure, and you need to cultivate that relationship. And if you don't have anyone in your life who can speak the truth in love to you. And by the way, I'm not talking about your spouse, okay? Your spouse is probably very willing to speak truth into your life. I'm not talking about him or her. You need someone else, someone you'll actually listen to. If you don't have, yes, I said that intentionally. If you don't have someone in your life who will speak the truth to you in love, you need to seek it. You need to pray for it. You need that person in your life. So, Think about people who climb Everest. Anybody, any rock climbers in here? I'm not one. I'm raising my hand just to be an example. Anybody? Anybody do that for, a, for fun? Okay, good, because that's nuts. But there are people who do that, and there are people who do that who have a lot of money, and often they will fly to Nepal so they can climb Mount Everest. Now, no one who has any sense goes up Mount Everest on their own, right? What do they do? they hire a Sherpa. Now, who are the Sherpas? The Sherpas are people who live in that region. So they live at high altitude. Here's the thing about altitude. If you've never uh, gone up on a mountain or if you've never been at high altitude before, there is this phenomenon called altitude sickness. And when we went to Peru last summer or last uh, February, I, I, people warned me about altitude sickness and I said, eh, I'm fine, I'm tough. When we were driving up into those mountains, into the Andes, to get to this village where we were going to do our mission work, I got really sick. It's a real thing. And not only does it make you sick, it makes you disoriented, you get foggy-headed, and you, you don't see well. And so you can imagine, if you're climbing up the world's tallest peak, and suddenly you can't think straight and you can't see well, that is less than ideal. But these Sherpas live at high altitude. They have a different capacity. They can go up to 23 and, and 24,000 feet, and it doesn't affect their, their thinking and their vision and their ability to function. Not only that, they've been there before. Many of them have scaled Everest before. They know the path to take. They know the, the wrong way to go and the right way to go. And not only that, the Sherpas don't just keep their climbers alive, which is important, they also know when to stop and say, hey, take a look at this. They know how to show the climbers the beautiful things they might miss along the way. Hey, if we stop and we wait here just for a moment, the sun's about to set and you're going to see something amazing. Or, hey, if you will look over that direction, you'll see a canyon and it's like nothing you've ever seen before. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about uh, getting godly mentors into your life. It's people who have a higher capacity than you at certain areas. Maybe like my friends that I talked about earlier, maybe a guy who has more patience with his family members than you do with yours, or maybe someone who's a, a little better at, uh, at prayer than you are, praying for, for her loved ones, or, or maybe someone who's 
who's really good at sharing the gospel and, and Bible stories with her kids and, and finds creative ways to incorporate scripture into their daily lives. And you learn from that person, maybe someone who's, who does a better job of keeping up with their parents. Now that their parents are older and she, she's always going over and spending time with them. And you think, man, I need to be more that way. You find somebody who's a higher capacity than you are in some way, and you spend time with them. You find someone who knows the ins and outs, who's been through some of life that you haven't and can share things with you. You find someone who doesn't just tell you what not to do, but tells you how to enjoy life too, how not to miss those opportunities with your friends, with your coworkers, with your family, with your kids. So how do we find these people? Well, first of all, that's the reason why there's a church. That's one of the main reasons why God created this institution called a church is so that we as God's people will invest in each other, so that we will speak the truth in love with, we, with one another. Paul later writes that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, this last week uh, with, with my, own, my own family experiencing a time of grief, it was so beautiful to me that a lot of people from this church came to my sister-in-law's funeral on Thursday. And others who couldn't be there sent us text messages or sent us emails or sent us cards. And, and unless you've gone through a time like that, you don't know how meaningful it is just that someone took the time to speak or to show up or to give you a phone call. It, it lightens your burden in some way. When someone goes to the hospital with you when you're going to have surgery, you're, you're in that in that uh, pre-op room and you're, all you've got is a sheet over you and you're just, you're nervous as can be and you're freezing to death and suddenly in walks a familiar face. And you don't know until you're in that point how important that can be, how much that can rescue your spirit. That's the reason God created a church. So we can do those things for one another. So we can bear one another's burdens. And that's why most every church I've been a part of and certainly this one we don't just have the big gathering in the sanctuary. We have small groups. We, have, we call them life groups here, Sunday school, whatever you're used to. That's why it's so important to be involved in one. And I've known people who've said, eh, all I need is that big gathering. I just want to hear a sermon. I just want to hear some good music. That's great, but that's not enough. You're not investing in others' lives if you're just part of that big gathering. You've got to be part of a small group. You've got to be invested in one another. And that's how you find these people who can invest in you. Second thing, cultivate relationships with older Christians. Cultivate those relationships with older Christians. Now, this takes some effort because the way we do things around here in every church I've been a part of, we segment people by their age groups. And there are definitely strengths to that. It's good for you to be in a group with people who are around your age who are fighting some of the same battles. It's good for you when you're around people um, who are raising kids, if you're, if you're a parent, to be around other parents. Or if you don't have kids yet and you, you want to be in a group of, of young people who don't have kids yet or single adults or whatever the case may be, all of that makes sense. The, the weakness of it is it's harder to cultivate those relationships with someone a little older than you. So you have to go out of your way. So when you're in the sanctuary and there's that older couple who always sits near you, you get to know them. One Sunday you say, hey, let's, let's go eat. You know, let's go to Luby's. I know that was a stereotypical thing to say. But um, <laughs> you offer, hey, let's, let's go to eat. Let's you know, have you over to my house. My, my kids are going nuts, so we can't go out to eat. So come over to our house. I made roast. 
Adopt a grandparent. Get to know somebody. Go on a mission trip, and there's an older uh, individual or older couple who's on that mission trip. Spend time with them. Cultivate those relationships. You know, in, in days of old, people lived in the same place their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were, and you had that network of older people to pour into you, and we have that less and less today. I don't live near my parents and haven't for many years. So I need those relationships with older adults. I need to go out of my way to find them. And some of you, this is one of the great things about this church, there are multiple generations of the same family in this church. Some, some of you have that, but you still need those other relationships too. You still need to get to know some people other than your parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles who are older. So cultivate those relationships. Those can be important mentoring opportunities for you. And then third, watch out for people who are better at relationships than you are. Just notice them. Like I did with, with my friend John back in seminary. Just notice somebody who's, you know, maybe a, a mom who's really good with a strong-willed child. And she doesn't lose it when the kid loses it. And you think, okay, I need to learn from her. Uh, maybe a, a person, maybe you're a person who's an introvert and you have a hard time making friends. And here's a guy who just he always seems to have friends. He's just, you need to spend time with him and find out what is his secret? What does he do that makes people want to be his friend? How can I learn from him? Now, once we find them, what's our part in this? How do we, how do we have these relationships with people that build into us? I'd say, first of all, it doesn't have to be in anything formal. When, you, when I talk about mentoring, people immediately think, oh, so there's some kind of process where they're going to give me these books I have to read and then I have to report to them. Yeah, that happens sometimes. But most of the time, all I'm talking about is you just spend time together. You ever, have you ever known someone who had a really strong accent and after you spent time with them, you developed that accent too? Well... When we spend time with people, we pick up other things, too. We, we pick up some of their mannerisms, some of their qualities, some of their ways of doing things. So just spend time together. Go out to eat. Communicate with each other. Spend time face-to-face. -face. I'm not talking about text messaging or Snapchatting or whatever. I, I mean actual face-to-face -face time. Um, secondly, let them speak the truth into your life. And this is the hard part. Because we tend to get defensive when someone points out ways we need to improve. I don't know anyone, anyone who likes to be told, hey, here's a way you need to change. I mean, do you? Anybody here want to say, yeah, I love being told ways I need to change. But that's how we grow. It is an act of love when someone says to you, you know, you need to change in this way. You need to change. What does it say in the Proverbs? Uh, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. We'd all love to have someone just shower us with affection and compliments and flattery. But it's far, far better when someone says something to us that's hurtful for the right reason. And I've had people who have spoken truth into my life that I didn't want to hear that has changed me for the better. And when you get defensive, when you get angry, when you get argumentative, that shuts that relationship down. And the last thing you want 
is for that person to say, well, I'm never coming to you again with something I, I perceive because I don't want to go through that kind of drama. So pray. If you know that you have a hard time with this, pray and say, Lord, give me an open heart. Give me a heart of wisdom so that when people come and confront me, people come and, and share with me things that I need to change about myself, I receive it with humility and grace, and I respond the right way. Okay, let's just have a moment of confession. Anybody here would say, I need help with that? Anybody? Okay, the rest of you are just lying. So, <laughs> so yeah, let them speak the truth in your life. And then third, cultivate that relationship. Relationships are difficult. They take work. Iron only sharpens iron if those two pieces of metal have frequent contact. Iron doesn't sharpen iron because this knife and, and this whetstone are Facebook friends, right? They have to come into face-to-face -face contact with one another. And that takes time. That takes hard work. And if you've got a job that makes you work a lot of hours and, and you've got uh, other responsibilities, uh, maybe you've got kids to raise, maybe you've committed to this activity or this organization, it's hard to find time to get, just get one-on-one -on -one with someone. Let me just confess something to you. I didn't plan to say this, but it just came to me. So I've told you before, the, the midlife crisis thing is real. My 40th year was a hard, hard year for both Carrie and me. Um, and, and I went through that. I went through that time of life where I was just, I was just beaten, beaten by life. And for years I had said, you know, it's funny, I don't really have any close friends, and that's okay, because I've got Carrie, and she's my best friend. But when we're both struggling, who was there to turn to? And I was hurting. I remember emailing a guy that I was friends with in college, and then another guy who I'd met in seminary, and both of them lived in another state, and emailing them and said, boy, I sure wish, I sure wish you lived close to me, because I could use a friend right now. And it it had come back to haunt me that I hadn't taken the time to cultivate real friendships with other men. I hadn't taken the time to say, this is somebody I can call at a moment's notice and they already know everything about me, so nothing I can say to them is a surprise. And even if I somehow said something that they hadn't anticipated, they'd say, hey, I still love you, but you need to get your nose clean. Here's what you need to do. I didn't have those relationships and it cost me. So, all that to say, do the hard work now. The hard work of, of cultivating a relationship with someone of your own gender who you can trust, who is honest enough to speak truth into your life and bold enough to speak truth into your life and who has some qualities you wish you had in you. And when I say cultivate that relationship, I mean ask yourself, what kind of friend does that person need? Don't be a user. Don't be somebody who says, hey, you can bless me, so I'm just going to glom onto you until you make my life better. No, you be the friend they need. What kind of support do they need? When do, you, when do they need for you to leave them alone, right? And when can you, and when and how can you support them and uh, help them grow in their own way? Cultivate that relationship. I know I know it's work. For some of us, it's something we've never really tried to do. Our friends have just been people we did stuff with. 
but it's so important to have those relationships. So let me just close with this. When, when, I, was, uh, when I was in college, I wanted to be in sports broadcasting. I worked at Channel 13 for a while. And uh, one, you know, I, so I met some famous people. I was in the sports department. And one day, a guy walked in who was a famous football player, played for the Oilers. If I told you his name, you'd recognize it, those of you who uh, are into football. Um, so he comes walking in, huge guy, just filled up the room. And then his wife came in. And then after them came their son, who was about three. And I got to tell you, this is going to sound mean, but, you know, the kid's a grown man by now, so he's over it. But that kid had the biggest head I have ever seen on a child in my life. I mean, he looked like a candy apple with feet. He was just massive skull. And I, I just, I had to cover my mouth and think, you know, if, if this dad sees me laughing, he's going to kill me. And I think of that every time I think of Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in every way into our head. Because I don't know, I mean, that, that guy's 25 or 30 now. Um, he's probably a huge man too, because eventually he grew into that head right? Otherwise, he's a really weird-looking adult, but I'm betting he grew into that head, and he's a massive human male. Um, when Paul is talking about the body of Christ and us growing into our head, who's the head? Who's he talking about? Come on, we're in church. There you go. Jesus is the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. The deacons are not the head of the church. The richest person in the church, whoever that is, is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And so think about that. In a way, every local church, including First Baptist Conroe, is like that little boy. Massive, impressive head, withered, unimpressive body, because we're all sinners, right? And we're not what we should be. And that body sort of teeters around and stumbles and staggers because it's not really living up to its head. But ultimately, that's going to change. Ultimately, we're going to grow into our head, and we're going to be something to behold. And that's not just true of us corporately as First Baptist Church. That's true of us individually as the body of Christ. We're going to grow into individuals who shine the light of Jesus to others who others look at and say, boy, I wish I had what you have. That's the life I want. That's the way I want to behave. That's the kind of purpose and peace I want to have in my own heart. And it happens as we speak the truth in love to one another and as we each perform our role within the body. And that's exciting to think that what we do on Sunday mornings is not just something we're doing to get a little check mark on, on the little uh, clipboard in heaven that some angel is holding. That's the way I used to think of it. Oh, yay, I, I made it through another sermon. I bet that angel's proud of me. No, it's not that. We're being equipped to love one another and to grow in Christ into the people we were created to be from the very beginning. But that takes work on our part. And are you willing to do that work? Are you willing to take the time? You will not regret it. All right, let me pray for us, and then Alan is going to come talk. Alan's still here, right? Yeah, there he is. Alan's going to come talk to us about uh, life groups starting in January. Remember, next week, we're going to fellowship here together. I'm going to enjoy that, um, but right now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being the head of our church, and I pray that we would follow you faithfully. 
And Lord, just as importantly, that we would love each other. Lord, give us boldness to speak the truth and love to one another. Give us wisdom to cultivate those close relationships. We're not all going to be the best of friends. But Lord, there are people in this group, in this church body that you have brought here specifically to invest in us, for us to invest in them. And I pray that we would do the hard work of investing in those relationships and cultivating those relationships and that we would grow through them. We would grow in our ability to love the people you've brought into our lives, our family members, our friends. Lord, grow us in every way. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this whole fall uh, season that I've had to to teach and, and speak to this group. And I pray that it would bear fruit for your kingdom and for your sake. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.